Hello, welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. My name is Dr. Talia Marcajani, and this is episode 74, Perinatal Mental Health and Impossible Parenting, with my friend Dr. Nikki Neffen, naturopathic doctor. So Nikki and I in this episode talk about a whole lot of things related to perinatal mental health. We discuss postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, the hormonal changes that occur during pregnancy, labor, and the postnatal period, the social and environmental factors that shape postpartum mental health, how it's not just serotonin. We talk about recreating the village, shame, stigma, and the silencing of the struggles of birthing parents, and a whole much more. A whole bunch more, a whole lot more. <laughs> So Nikki was my friend from school and she's super real, uh, very off the cuff and has a lot of knowledge to share. She shares her postnatal struggles with her firstborn child. She's a mother of three. She's also a naturopathic doula and her passion is helping families grow and thrive through pregnancy, birth and the great beyond. In the words of her bio, it takes a village and she's ready to be part of yours. I think that's all I'll say for now. I'll let the rest of the interview do the heavy lifting in this episode. Uh, Definitely give it a listen. You know, perinatal mental health issues affect an astoundingly high number of birthing parents. And so this conversation, I think, is really important, especially throughout COVID. The incidence of postnatal depression anxiety rose from one out of seven cases Um, to one in every four. And so this may be an issue that you're struggling with, that you have struggled with, or that you know someone who is struggling with. So please pass it on, give it a listen, give it a couple listens, take notes, and reach out to either Nikki or myself if uh, you have any questions. Without further ado, here is Nikki Neffen and I talking about perinatal mental health and impossible parenting. Let's do it. It was over. <laughs> Recording in progress. Hi, Nikki. How's Hi. It going? Good. Welcome, Dr. Nikki Neffen, naturopathic doctor. Um, so you have a focus. I guess we could call it a focus or an interest, a new calling in postpartum uh, condition. So postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. Uh, most people probably have heard of postpartum depression more than postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe people haven't heard of either, but maybe you could tell us why you decided to focus on this, uh, you know, why it's an interest of yours and maybe what yeah. it is. Yeah. So that, all, so it all falls under the umbrella of perinatal mental health, which is just your mental health in the period during, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, and then postpartum is considered up to one year by like medical standards, but I consider someone who's had a child to be postpartum forever um, (laughs) because it changes you forever on like not only an emotional mental level, but also like on a physical level. Um, And I think I came by it really naturally because I was, before I became a naturopath, I was a birth doula. I became a birth doula to support a friend of mine and really got absorbed into the birth world. And by nature of that, like, began working with parents, new parents and babies, and then became an ND and had a really strong passion for birth and, and in early parenthood, and then became a parent myself and got real schooled real quick. 
And that, um, took, that took the stage of all yeah, the education. It was like a whole other degree, but on, you know, steroids. So I think like my personal story, because, you know, I'm connected to it personally too, is that when I had my first child, so I was pregnant at the end of um, going to naturopathic college and writing my licensing exams and, uh, you know, doing all the things and like planning a beautiful, calm, like meditative, natural birth at home with my midwives. And then like all the crunchy granola things, uh, as a new mom and, uh, you know, spoiler alert that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, and I, And it was like I had been ripped out of my identity, essentially. And what's interesting as an aside, as like a healthcare provider, someone who works in with birth, is that I think sometimes you like get, you, you get um, your treatments different. Like they assume that, you know, so I think that in lots of ways, it was easy for me to fall through the cracks of the system in terms of like people seeing that I was struggling. I think also like a lot of new parents because there's so much shame around our experiences and how we're feeling. And there's so much stigma around perinatal mental health that um, I was also really good at hiding it. So I just struggled on my own for lots of different reasons um, that I think a lot of people struggle. I had a difficult um, birth and then I had a a somewhat difficult recovery after the birth and lots of stuff going on in my, my family and personal life that impacted it. And then I also had this wildly, uh, overly attached, fussy baby who wouldn't nurse and who wouldn't sleep. And all, I had all the things, it was like all of the pieces came together and, um, yeah. So I think I learned, I became super interested in perinatal, perinatal mental health, during that time period in an effort to try and figure out what's going on with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you're mentioning the shame piece, which, and this is something, you know, I guess it can apply, I think even to nutrition, we have the system in its, in mm-hmm. its conventions and its brokenness and how, you know, the ways that it might fail to serve us. And then we have this desire to, let's say like return to like a healthier, normal mm-hmm. space. And so there can be some shame and like, okay, I'm going to go against convention. Like I should have had this like natural hypnobirth where I'm like in a yeah. tub of water in my house. And, and then if that doesn't go well, there's a shame there. Like we see this with people who are struggling with breastfeeding and, yeah. and, and turn to formula and they're like, you know, it's like, okay, so the convention before was formula was the best. Everyone should be on it. Breastfeeding is terrible. Then we, we go back to our natural roots and we say, okay, no breastfeeding. Here's all the benefits. Mm-hmm. And then if that's not possible for someone, there's this level of shame and, and it's like, no, but that's what formula is for. It's for when yeah. you breastfeed or decide not to, or have a good reason, you know? And so when we have this, where you're like, I have this plan, it was going to be this beautiful holistic yeah. experience that didn't happen. And now I feel like I've failed in some way. Like, I don't want to put words in. Your yes. Mouth, but- no, that's exactly mm. what you feel. And, and, you know, it is there's a really wonderful Toronto therapist, Olivia Scobie, who wrote a wonderful book called Impossible Parenting. And she really digs into it. I worked with Olivia. I trained with her before as well. And I feel like she really captures that, which is you're not even aware going into this. This is one of the things you have no idea what, you know, we prepare to give birth. We go to classes, we listen to things, we do prenatal yoga, we take the vitamins, 
maybe you read a little bit about postpartum. Maybe you talk to the public health nurse about like how to bathe your baby or you read what to expect in the first year. But we do not talk about what that transition from maiden to motherhood, for lack of a better description, is like mentally or emotionally. And it is the shame piece is like the tip of the iceberg because underneath all that are these core beliefs about their, and they're like deeply core beliefs about what it means to be a good parent, particularly what it means to be a good mother. I don't want to like discount other people who identify differently, but in particular, there is so that all of that stuff. And for me, I had no idea. I had no idea that how connected I was before I even had the baby to what my definition of a good mother was. And, and, and that's it. It, That's so important because it's a huge obstacle to people accessing care. Mm -hmm. So many people are not, they're not being screened number one by their doctors or midwives or whoever they're seeing in their prenatal care. The screening is, um, and then when they are screened, um, they're only screened for, you know, in a certain way, there's nothing else. And I think we, we, you know, can talk about where naturopathic medicine comes there in there in terms of like our toolbox and our approach is vastly different in that sense. Um, and why people don't get diagnosed or get screened. And then what it looks like when they're getting help, is that help effective? Is it, you know, what does it look like and why? So why are so many people struggling? And like, to give you a sense that, you know, in the last two years with COVID, I mean, it's, you, it's exactly what you guessed. Like it's exploded it's yeah. out of control. I would say we are like truly in a mental health, like maternal mental health crisis at this point, because what we've taken away from people is one of the major foundations of good mental health postpartum and in pregnancy is support, right? Mm-hmm. Social isolation. People aren't having as many appointments with their midwives or OBs. Sometimes they're not even seeing them at all. Um, we, that could yeah. be a whole separate rant. But um, I think that the number is like previous to the pandemic, the the general number in terms of incidents, like how many people suffer was like one in seven mothers, right? One in seven birthing parents, I should say. Which is um, pretty high. Like higher which than is pretty expect. high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One in three, if you're a person of color or okay. indigenous. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and that's society, like systemic issues, mm-hmm. systemic racism, et cetera. And one in 10 dads, right? So that's, that I think to me that speaks, and there's been some really interesting research, neuroplasticity or neuro, um, oh my gosh, neurology, like I just listened neuro, to just and neuro, whatever neurogenesis. that word is. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a research in dads, right? Mm-hmm. In, in partners, I should say people who aren't the birthing parent, um, which speaks to sort of the environmental and societal and support piece over the biology. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, in the, in since COVID, that's been the most recent study suggested up to 33% of birthing parents were at least concerned about their mental health and about 25% of them had a formal diagnosis or enough of the symptoms, which of course we're talking about like, doesn't even capture what most people have because we're also kind of trained or told if we're told anything about it, that like postpartum, we think of postpartum depression, just like other depression, like sadness, sleeping all the time, listlessness, maybe suicidal ideation. But in, 
pregnancy and the postpartum period, it can show up a little bit differently. It can show up as like extreme irritation. It can show up as rage, which is really shocking. Someone doesn't tell you that you might want to cut off your partner's head in the first six weeks of having a a human being with them. That's scary. Mm -hmm. You don't know that that's possible if somebody doesn't tell you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so influenced, right? Like it can be, so those, so we need to like understand like what do those things look like, right? Like it's not just crying. It's not, and, and anxiety as well. Like it's not just necessarily worrying about your baby. It might be like staying up all night inadvertently like making sure your baby's breathing which is what happened to me I didn't even realize I was doing that but I would literally she'd be asleep and I would just hold myself in like barely asleep watching her breathe like is she breathing did she breathe now if you don't know about newborns they do have like a natural sort of sleep apnea if you're watching all the time it's scary Um, And it drives that process over and over again, right? And different things can predispose you to that too. Um, You know, like in my case, I I don't start off watching her breathing at night like that. But when she was about a week old, she spit up and she choked, like she aspirated some of that into her lungs and she stopped breathing for, I don't even know, it wasn't that long. Paramedics, the whole thing. She's fine. I wasn't fine. Mm -hmm. That that it was after that, right? So where how do how do we lose parents into the cracks, right? Mm-hmm. We sometimes lose them because the symptoms aren't what we expect. We're not told what those symptoms are. And frankly, like people don't have access to their care providers or if they're not trained to ask beyond questions, mm-hmm. like how are you doing? If you're even asked that. Right. Mm-hmm. Part of it too is like, you know, throughout the process of pregnancy and birth and like the initial postpartum period, so much of the focus is on the health of the fetus baby and which rightfully so, right? It's a new process. It's a new being coming into life. Um, but what about the person who is Mm -hmm. (laughs) gestating and birthing and breath and feeding and, you know, has their own needs as still a human being, you know, which I think is part of like the doula role, right? It's like somebody there yeah. in the birthing process is concerned for the, the the birthing parent, you know, but this is another thing too. It's like, to so the paramedic, I've just had this, you know, this vision, like the paramedics come, your baby's fine. You're like, but there's no paramedic for me <laughs> or yeah. health, health, like mental health yeah. crisis manager. Who's going to help me yeah. process what just happened. Um, you know, there's also that, that discrepancy where, where you're like, which often happens with anxiety, right? Where it's like, everything's fine. Why am I still freaking out? And why do I now have these repercussions where I need to check, you know? It's so that you just hit the nail on the head. It is, I I liken it to like, I like to call it like the mother machine, right? It's a little bit of like the, you know, industrial complex system, right? Like the, the birthing parent is reduced in lots of ways in our system to like a vessel, right? It could be like Margaret Atwood could write another post-apocalyptic novel. You will mean Handmaid's Tale, right? Like you see it. And that is what it's like in a lot of ways, especially in the traditional system of care. And, and I'm sure even worse in COVID when it's like stepping mm-hmm. back, stepping back. Mm-hmm. And yes, even that shift from pregnancy to postpartum. So in, in late pregnancy, in the third trimester of pregnancy, whether you're with a midwife or an obstetrician, you're seeing that care provider every week. They're checking in on you. They're running blood. You might be getting an ultrasound. They're making plans. 
then postpartum happens. And, you know, if you've had a major abdominal surgery to birth your baby, you might be in the hospital for three days, three days. (laughs) If not, you're out within 24 hours, less than that with COVID. And they just send you home with a tiny human being. Mm -hmm. And, and like, if you're in midwifery care, you're, you're getting visits at home or getting more often visits. I think it's a little bit more a parent centered than baby centered. But if you're with an obstetrician, your, your baby's going in for the baby visits and yeah, they might ask you how you're doing. They might not. Mm-hmm. It's not, the you, weather? you are you literally doing? dropped off. Yeah. Right. And we mm-hmm. don't, we also don't have in our culture, we don't have the cultural net mm-hmm. that lots of other cultures have, right? We don't live in a village. In fact, you're told now mm-hmm. as a mother, you need to build your own village while you're growing an entire human being from two cells. Mm-hmm. Also, please recreate the village that you would have had, whatever, back yeah. in pre, pre-industrial revolution. I don't even know. When was the village there? I was talking it about was a long time with, ago with our friend, Erica, who also has three kids and, 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 yes. and, you know, every single friend I have who has a young child within a year, year and a half, there's always this strain on their, on their partnership, their relationship, because the role yes. of the birthing parent is so different from the, and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's, these are, these are heterosexual couples. These are, um, no, it's primary parents. It's primary versus exactly. secondary parent it exists in the same sex relationship. Yeah. Too. There's, there's one who's given birth. And so there's this whole hormonal thing. And then there's often like a breastfeeding yeah. relationship. And then there's the other parent who in, in most cases is, uh, working, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and so that, that person is working eight hours a day and coming home tired. And the other parent is like, I just spent all day, like 24 hours of my life is with this baby. And I need to like pee without him or her. And can you take, yeah. and then there's always a tension. And we just talk about how, like for better, lack of a better word, how unnatural that is and how it would yeah. be like a community of other birthing parents and other infants yes. and, babies and children and someone holds sometimes even those people are feeding your baby, (laughs) right? Like in, in some cultures, it was like, whoever was breastfeeding baby need to be fed up. They go. Right. Yeah. Like, and yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's, I like to say like, and maybe it'll be the title of my book someday, but like the nuclear family is killing us. It absolutely Mm -hmm. is killing us. It definitely decimates relationships. Maybe that's why it's Um, called nuclear. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's called nuclear. (laughs) And here's the thing. That's also something nobody, nobody told me that nobody Mm -hmm. said to me. So also when you're pregnant, your progesterone is like, it's like something like the hormones in pregnancy are like taking a hundred birth control pills a day. That's how many hormones are in your body. All of those hormones evolutionarily are changing your body and your brain towards the evolution of your child being born and surviving. Mm -hmm. One of those things is that you have a partner. So your brain hormonally in pregnancy, you're flying high on progesterone. You love that person. You love people. You like your attachment centers are on fire, right? What's happening in your brain when you're in late pregnancy and early postpartum is your brain is literally pruning neurons from different areas in your brain and then growing new connections in the areas of attachment and caregiving. That is so that your baby survives and evolution. That's how we are evolutionarily driven wherever we want to say otherwise. So imagine going from like loving your partner who you've created this baby with, or maybe you've got another partner at the same time, whoever, someone's your 
person so much to having a baby and then that hormone drops within three days until, and then prolactin takes over to, to, you know, encourage body feeding. That is the hugest, by the way, hormonal drop anyone will ever have. There is nothing like that that happens in male physiology. There's nothing that happens like that in female physiology, not even menopause, right? Mm -hmm. That happens in a course of three days. You switch from that progesterone, which is like attachments, you know, it like makes you smooth over. You're just like glazed over with love, right? And oxytocin does come in afterwards as well to kind of like help with that. But that switch is so that you stay partnered so that that person can help you take care of that baby. So the baby survives. Mm -hmm. And then after a period of time, like, you know, who knows why that happens really evolutionarily, those hormones switch. Right. And now all of a sudden, and maybe this is when in our culture previously in village culture, we would have returned to the group of the other birthers and caregivers. And that person would have gone out to hunt. I don't know. Maybe somebody studied that. I don't know. I don't get that deep into it, but there is a switch and that looks like resentment, rage. You know, there's a negotiation about roles, dividing of work. It's like, Mm-hmm. It's a very intense time, right? And there's also like layered on all of our own beliefs and ideas about like what what we are now and, you know, getting back to who you were before. We're lucky in Canada that we have maternity leaves that are covered to so most people would have some sort of paid leave. But in other countries like the United States, sometimes people are getting six weeks. I mean, you're not even physically healed from birth in six weeks. Yeah. And now you're back in the workforce. Yeah. You know, it's. And now you're, it's a lot. You're detaching from your six week old infant and your hormones are like, like this means that this infant is not like, it's like a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think when people like, first of all, there's like the understanding that we don't get that information. People are expected to find that information on their own. It's not spoken about a lot. We, we spend so much time preparing for the birthing of the baby and so little time preparing for what I would call like the birthing of yourself as a parent. Cause there is really a death almost of the old self and a rebirth that happens. It actually even see it. I was saying to a friend the other day, there's a moment in labor and un- mostly in unmedicated labors, but there is a moment when I feel like symbolically that even happens, right? It's usually transition. And it's like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm dying. It's never going to work. And then like, as long as things are going well, like, boom, usually we have a baby not too long after that, right? It's like the mother, <laughs> what you think is your edge. You, you yeah, it's a sharp edge, literally, <laughs> literally reborn. <laughs> you really, you kind of, you are, you are, are, cause you're, everything changes for you, right? Like, your physiology changes. We know your brain changes. We know even your DNA changes during pregnancy because of your, there's like cross, there's cross pollination, I guess, in some ways, the baby's DNA with yours. Right. So even if that, and that's true, even if that baby never is born, right. That's, that's Mm -hmm. from pregnancy. So we are literally changed by growing another human in our body. So we, we don't go back to who we were in that sense or in any sense, really. So Mm-hmm. That's a big part of, I think, something that we don't talk about that's not addressed in our in our current medical system. Um, but I think I would even go farther, like for I would I would even take it back a few steps, which is like when somebody comes in and they're struggling, like 
how can we get people to talk about what their experience is like, which is the the shame and the stigma and this idea that like something's wrong with me if it doesn't feel the way I was shown it was supposed to feel on social media or in movies. Like how many people are being, you know, posting pictures of themselves raging at their partner in the middle of the night? No one. Yeah, exactly. How many, <laughs> I, I think I just recently saw a meme that I was like, wow, that's the first time somebody's ever publicly described that. And I'm in a lot of birth community where somebody talked about like overdoing it postpartum and having like a big glob of something like fall out of your vagina while you're talking to someone <laughs> like that happens postpartum. We don't talk to people about that. Um, yeah. So, it's just like a beautiful, you know, yeah. Like it's like a beautiful, like mother yes. holding her belly and there's like sashes blowing on her these like photos yeah (laughs) no it's like look a really good example is like look at the beautiful like newborn photos it's like I'm just like feeding this baby I'm in this beautiful like neutral bedroom like you know my two other children just snuggled up being sweet they're not screaming their faces off while I'm making milk everywhere bleeding all over the bed with a baby who can't latch because they have a wicked tongue tie like it's Or, yeah, I get a- it. I, I like the fans. <laughs> I like the nice pictures too, but I think that it's a real disservice because people come in and it's like, they don't, I think it sometimes takes a while for people to realize and it's in the onus should be on healthcare providers to have the sensitivity and have the, you know, skill, I think to really get to, to asking people like how, how they're doing and what it's like and what they're experiencing. And that sometimes even when people do know something's wrong, like they know, wow, I'm like, I'm really struggling. I need help. They don't know where to get the help. Mm-hmm. We don't do a really good job of telling them where to get the help. And sometimes when they go through, you know, maybe their midwife or their doctor at that six week visit, when it's like, how are you doing? We have 15 minutes to talk about it. Um, then they're given like such limited options. And some of those options really don't jive with people too, right? Mm-hmm. Like I my family doctor at one point during that time period had said to me, you know, go on medication. I didn't want to go on medication. I felt really worried about that. And like, I was breastfeeding and my baby wasn't sleeping. Um, and she was like, well, you just need to go on medication and, um, you should sleep train your baby. And also you might just need to stop breastfeeding because it really seems like she's just breastfeeding all night and that's why you're not sleeping. Mm. So how did that help me? It didn't because all of those things felt like really outside of what I wanted to do as a parent. I just didn't go back. Yeah. I just, I just went home and I, you know, luckily have a community of NDs. I knew that there were other options, right? Yeah. It still took me like eight or nine months before I actually got any help. Yeah. And it's not like that, that those are like bad. Those are three options. Yes. And there, and, but the problem is when you're choosing between three options and none of them, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is a problem with like some of this very advice-based care where it's like, here's what you do. And you're like, if if that doesn't jive with you, like, it'd be nice to be provided with 20 options that you can pick a few of, or even just, yeah, like it's really, and this is the problem. I think like, there's also this part of just like, there's so much to unpack as well. It's more than just advice, right? right? It's more than just like, okay, uh, you know, it seems like you're up all night breastfeeding. Okay. Stop breastfeeding. It's like, okay. Uh, How's that baby getting like, fed? Maybe that would be helpful <laughs> if I just needed permission or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
but let's unpack this. Like what is normal? What is, you know, yeah. Like I'm even just thinking, like, I remember when I was sitting with uh, my friend and she had, we were with her, like, I think like two-year-old, no, maybe she was younger and she was walking around. It's maybe like 18 months. And, uh, and she was like, we're sitting at a cafe and she's like, you know, you're sitting here talking and you're probably just focused on the conversation and like drinking your coffee. What I'm doing simultaneously while talking to you is that I'm scanning the environment for predators Mm -hmm. and planning in my brain, how I'll grab my daughter and run out of here where the closest exit is. And that, and she's, and she's like, you know, that just kind of like normal, like your brain, like, were you talking about that brain change? And this is somebody who's very self-aware and like aware of their body, very embodied and, and, but nobody's really into Instagramming that or describing Mm -hmm. that. I can imagine mothers birthing parents just kind of like not, not really under, not really knowing what to make of that. And just maybe that might just, I can see how that new tendency, that neural connection, that new awareness and hypervigilance can then spiral to becoming anxiety. Like part of Mm -hmm. that is just sort of natural, right? Your brain's changed now. It's not just you now, like, you know, if some like predator comes running out of the bushes, like you can escape, you can fight off. Now you have this being that you have to protect Mm -hmm. your brain has changed. Um, that's, that might be completely natural. Like, let's say natural quote unquote, normal. How does that, how do you, what's your relationship with that? What's your relationship with these brain changes with these hormonal changes? And then, and we're going to talk more, like, and unpack more of this, like the social, um, Mm -hmm. environmental stuff, like, and also like how there's, there's this, um, massive discrepancy where you see more people of color who experience postpartum. So obviously there's mm-hmm. this massive social influence on that experience. Yeah. And, and yeah, like, so it's like this awareness of the experience. No one really is talking about no healthcare practitioners are like, well, you know, here's some of the changes <clears throat> to expect. Um, it's more yeah. like, oh, if you're not sleeping, you know, well, it's, 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 baby, it's, yeah very much just like the rest of the model, right? It's like cause, effect, here's where we can intervene, right? And I think that you, that it's, what it really is, is that it lacks context, right? It lacks nuance. Mm -hmm. um, And it assumes that there's a really direct correlation between what's happening, right? And that's right, you know, I'm trying to birth this hashtag, it's, it's not just serotonin. And it's because, that's our first line therapy in conventional medicine is antidepressants. And one of the things that I think that is a disservice to parent to new parents is that, first of all, there's a myth that that's the only route, right? And the second myth is that there you can't, you know, once you take an antidepressant, then that's it, right? And so what happens is we, all the people who don't want to take the medication for whatever reason are, are no, no longer being treated. Mm -hmm. right. Are now just left to their own devices. Maybe they get funneled into a group program, but and then they're sure as hell shamed for not doing what they should. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, just take, just take the SSRIs. Like what's your, why are you not taking it? Yeah. You're not. So there's that. And then there's the people who don't actually feel better on the SSRIs. Mm -hmm. Right. Or they don't, or they feel like 65% and they're like, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. I'm just, and let me tell you every person who has that, because I see a lot of those people, they all come in with the same story and they all attribute it to themselves. It's something about me. I'm doing something wrong. There's something terribly wrong with me because I'm this 
And like, I'm a shitty mother, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where Olivia's book on impossible parenting. And she's like literally doing her PhD now <laughs> in like this concept of like, what's a good mother? Well, what does a good mother do? She sacrifices herself. She does what's best for her kids. She does all these things. So rooted in the patriarchy and the systems of patriarchy, it's not even funny, mm-hmm. right? So when people come to us, when people come to healthcare providers, when you're working with people who are in the childbearing years, it's so critical that we look at that from a truly holistic perspective, which is that there are so many pathways that affect our mental health. It's not a separate entity. It's not like mm-hmm. lung health and, you know, gastrointestinal health, right? Like it is, it is inextricably woven into our, our well-being. Yeah. Our mental health is health. We know that as, and so what we're looking at is like, first of all, like, you know, I start with like, let's suss it out. Like, is it actually depression and anxiety or OCD and panic come in there too? Like what's happening? What are the symptoms? What happened in the birth? The birth and that immediate experience in pregnancy and postpartum are massively affected, um, will massively affect your mental health. Part of that's probably because our brain is changing. Those hormones and that neuroplasticity is ha- is happening um, to help us be better parents and our, for our offspring to live. But the the flip side of that coin is our brains are like almost I don't want to say susceptible, but like they're but because they're changing and they're in flux so much, like there is like increased risk there for trauma in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, we know that people whose babies are born prematurely or who have a complication in pregnancy, um, whose babies end up in the NICU are at higher risk of postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. We know that um, people who have had interventions, I mean, you can actually see it increase. The number of interventions in someone's birth is correlated with the increased risk for um, perinatal mental health issues. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. sense. Right? Yeah. Like you have to process that. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. if there's physical, if there's, mm-hmm. and that, and that is true also on the physical level. So if there are physical issues that happen during birth, there's, you know, a severe tear or like a prolapse or some sort of emergency that happens to the parent during that process, um, that that is also puts you at an increased risk. So like starting off with like, what's actually happening here? Mm-hmm. What, how, what are you experiencing and how is it, you know, how is it happening in your body? And I go through like, and part of this was through my own midwife, she would have this like kind of triage. And so she kind of gave me the basis for this triage. And then I flushed it out into what I would consider like our naturopathic sort of philosophy, which is like, let's look at all the pathways there and all the roots that could be part of that. So it's like, what's happening with sleep? yours and the baby's what's happening with the support system um that you're having in terms of like and that's physical and mental support in your healing what's happening in this with the sex hormones um what happened during that transition what's happening otherwise what's happening on a systemic level in your body is there inflammation is there are there some other things happening is there a deficiency happening because you were Maybe you had morning sickness for six months of your pregnancy and you couldn't even take your prenatal. Your body just filtered all the nutrients that you got and all the nutrients that were stored in your bones and the rest of your body to that baby and you're super depleted. Mm -hmm. And then what's happening with serotonin and neurotransmitters. And so what that does is it opens up the possibility of people getting well 
to people who are on medication because, hey, your serotonin is taken care of. Thank yeah. you, Zoloft. You're dealing with it. We still have five other arenas that we can work in. It also helps us with people who don't want to take medication, which, by the way, is their choice and right. You know, this is, yeah, it's like not this, their fault, right? And we get to choose like, how we heal. With 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 medication, right? It's like it's not that this this is a, again. It's it's that thing of like we have the conventional system, then we have yeah. like you know more of an understanding of mental health, and then it's like you know people are like well I you know, so on the one hand, this biological reductionism is what I want to talk yeah. about. Biological reduction reductionism is that everything boils down to the one neurotransmitter that's out of whack. Yeah. Which even as we're having this discussion is a ridiculous thing to say about postpartum anxiety and depression, because that's not the only thing that changes in pregnancy yeah. and birth. Right. Okay. So we already know yeah. that that's a ridiculous assertion. Yeah. I think, you know, th- there's a bunch of reasons though why it's so sticky a concept and why it's so attractive a concept first, because when, if, if our starting point in talking about mental health was like, Oh, it's all kind of in your mind, snap out of it. Like it's, Mm. you know, then to find a biological connection is validating and affirming because now it's not my fault. Like there's something off in the brain. Right. But the problem is that's not how mental health works if it was. And then, and then the other problem with it is that you know, if you, you take, so it's like, okay, it all boils down to serotonin. So here's the solution. We have this, this therapy. If you don't want to take it, you're choosing not to get better. There's a stigma that we've just already added. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you're like a granola mother. What's wrong with you? If you take it and you don't get full response, which by the way is like, I don't think I've met anyone that had a hundred percent, uh, result with, um, an SSRI. Like there's always, yeah. we call They're it about like 30% effective. That's yeah. what the research suggests. That yeah. 30% of people respond to them at all. 30%, That's 30% pretty... people respond. Yeah. And, yeah. and some people have, uh, they don't have a clinical effect, which means they don't notice if they get a response and some people just only get side effects. And there's some research now into genetically who might respond. And so they're yes. trying to just recommend what, you know, what yeah. would actually work for someone and not even bother. But there's yeah. still so much in that where some people who have tried and found that it, it only caused side effects. It didn't produce yeah. any benefit that they're, they're being told by their doctor to try a different one or to keep trying. And it's yeah. like, you know, the, the definition of insanity, not that, that, that a different one can't work, but you know, it kind of, it still brings it to that biological cause. Meanwhile, that person's just like working on one path, right? Like exactly. all of their eggs are in that basket, exactly. right? None of the other stuff is being dealt with. Maybe if they're lucky, they're funneled into like in Toronto, you can get funneled into the women's college, um, you know, postpartum, like perinatal program, which by right. the way, often has a six to nine month wait list. You, you, you time out of it when your baby's 12 months old, Um, and it's really there for people who are in severe crisis. So most people aren't in severe crisis, but they're struggling. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then, then you have people with the treatment gaps, right? So like, okay, I started this, I did this therapy. I get 30% improvement. Uh, what about the other 70%? Well, that must be my fault. So we go back to the, my fault thing. My fault. We don't, we don't acknowledge that it's like a variety of factors Yes. Massive ones are social and environmental. Like you mentioned, yeah. this is obvious. And then you have the pruning and then we have <clears throat> just because, you know, all the interventions as well, like, which I can imagine, right. Your brain is, is open and, and, mm-hmm. and it's malleable. 
in exactly it's super malleable and then you're adding these these crises right like something's wrong we're gonna do this and you're like okay okay we need an emergency c-section okay uh we got to do a blood transfusion okay and you're like and then in the end you end up with a a healthy baby and you're like thank goodness Uh, or then your baby's in NICU but then 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 it's all okay and you're like okay in the end everything's fine. So there it's the same, like with your story, like everything, my baby's fine. So I should be fine. And nobody is so, like, unpacked yeah. yeah. Talia, nothing pisses me off more than the statement. Your baby's fine. You should be happy. Mm-hmm. Everything turned out fine. And here, and you know, in my own story, like nothing lit a fire under my ass faster than that. It was because the truth was, in, we don't, we also don't acknowledge that there's small T trauma, right? We don't, yeah. also don't acknowledge that like, we think like, okay, if somebody loses their baby, if they have to have an emergency hysterectomy, or if they have to have like, you know, they have a true emergency C-section where they're put under general anesthesia and they're not even awake for their birth. We will, as a society, generally acknowledge that that was traumatic. But by the way, there's also still a time limit on how long you should have to deal with that because you should get over it eventually. Yeah, you but got we two absolutely, weeks to Otherwise it's pathological. Yeah. Your baby's fine. You're fine. What's wrong with you? This is the underlying thing. What is wrong with you? As if we don't already have that pre-recorded tape in our minds, particularly as mothers um, from before, right? Like it's just there. And I think that what we do is we pathologize the struggle. Mm-hmm. We pathologize it. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong with you instead of something is wrong with the system or something else is wrong mm-hmm. in your body that needs help. There's a, and I don't want to say wrong. I really like the idea of like, there's a barrier. There's mm-hmm. something, there's a block. Mm-hmm. And once, and you know, this is where naturopathic medicine, this is where we shine because our toolbox is incredible. We have so many tools and we are truly brilliant generalists in that sense. It's like, our, we're trained to think that way. It's like, but this and this and that. And if we move this, it's like master dominoing, right? What's going to happen? And so when you're working on all those levels, you don't even necessarily know like what's, you know, it, you don't necessarily take the time to go, we're going to work only on sleep. We're going to work only on support. No, you're doing it all at once. You're working on many levels at the same time, just moving stuff around being like, where is it going to hit? Where's the body going to align itself? Where, like, what is going to stick with that person, right? And, but we actually, like, the thing that I feel like people hear the most is like, you know, in terms of like, well, what are your options, right? It's like, so my doctor was like, sleep, your baby needs to sleep. So let's fast forward seven years, right? She, my daughter just started sleeping well this year. You know what the difference was? She had like a crazy tongue tie. How many people did I see in her childhood and infancy who, you know, misdiagnosed that? I came to that conclusion through my own professional like work in working with people with babies where I was like, and learning from myofunctional therapists and lactation consultants and pediatric dentists and all of these things to realize that probably a big part, not all of it, but probably a big part of why my daughter didn't sleep which was causing both of us severe sleep deprivation was because she couldn't breathe properly because her tongue wasn't in her mouth properly. It was a straight up functional barrier to her health and mine. And an SSRI was not going to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, I'm 30. I just turned 36 and I just discovered I have a crazy tongue tie that I think I'm- (laughs) I also have a tongue tie. It's like a problem, right? Okay. So like- 
36 Wild. years of like weird, like abdom, like tr- trying to treat weird IBS symptoms. and, and sleep oh, yeah. and, like, when I was a kid, I mouth breathe all that. So yes. this is the thing, you know, it's like when we miss that's this, one, when- that's only one area too, yeah. right? Like that's where I'm like, so that doesn't even, that's only one area of one area, like of sleep, yeah. right? That doesn't talk about like, what is normal infant sleep biologically look like? What does how, and then like, what can you do about it? Right? Like what's happening in our brain and in our bodies when we give birth to a baby and particularly when you're body feeding a baby, how does nature provide the blueprint for us to be able to do that? And then how do we, you know, translate that into something that works? And I'm not saying like that you can't sleep, train your baby, that you have to bed share or even breastfeed your baby. Absolutely. That's not, there's not a set course, Mm -hmm. but it is context. Mm-hmm. It's really important context and it's yeah. glossed over as though it means nothing. And the truth is, is that it can be a lot of things, but sometimes it can be just straight up your, yeah. you know, your 18 month old has an iron deficiency, mm-hmm. probably because you were iron deficient and they also might have something going on in their mouth. So they're not up for eating. And so they're not getting enough of their nutrients. Like those, those things impact those children and those that impacts us. It impacts the whole family system. We we have to stop putting the blame on the mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and and or on the primary caregiver, because it could be, you know, pr- primarily we're talking about like this is it people who are birthing the babies and then primarily taking care of them who get who have that pressure, right? It's not evenly divided. So yeah. Yeah, Although like we do it, see it in partners and dads that there's like an increased chance. Like, I think that mm-hmm. the statistic is if one partner has postpartum depression or anxiety, the other partner has a 50% increased risk of also having it. Mm-hmm. So and you said one in 10, right? For the non-birth. Right. Patient. Yeah. So still high. That's 10%. So the, that person doesn't have the hormonal changes. Mm-hmm. So why, what's going on there? Maybe it's mm-hmm. their sleep impacted. Maybe then we, then that speaks to like the environment and the support, right? Not only do like, do we drop people off without the knowledge and the aspect, but like, what kind of support do we have for people learning to feed their babies? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What kind of support do we have helping people heal from the physical, even just the, even just the physical stuff yeah. of birth? Like what's, you know, I mean, like negotiating with your partner, how to have conversations where you can both feel empathy for each other. Even if you're not directly experiencing what yeah. the other's experiencing. Do we teach partners how to support, you know, and, you know, do, does this in particular, this generation, you know, can we teach the next generation of partners how to support their, their partners through like those early periods and how to get support themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to cook for that person? It can be really basic stuff, right? Yeah. Um, you know, well, you're lucky if you get a meal train postpartum, that that's like winning the lottery. Yeah. Right. And, and again, like back to like everyone, I think laments and grieves the fact that they don't have this village, but it very quickly spirals into, well, there's something wrong with me or there's something that I chose. Maybe even people say that to you. Maybe you've got a mother or a mother-in-law who says, well, you moved to the city. So I guess, I guess you made your bed and you should lay in it. Mm-hmm. That happens I had too. no one to support me. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I know my mom probably won't listen to this, but I know my mom w- used to say to me, I just don't understand what's going on with these moms and they don't know how to breastfeed. Like I just put you to the boob and you figured it out. And I said, 
So hold on a second. Did you put me to the boob? When did you put me to the boob in the 10 day hospital stay with nursing around the clock um, where someone would help you latch me every day, every feed for 10 days? That was you just putting me to the boob and figuring it out. I doubt it. First of all, like I just call bullshit. You can't remember that far back. But second (laughs) of all, like the support was so different. And and like, you know, Mm. how many people did I even see breastfeed their babies before I breastfed my own? And keeping in mind, I was a doula and I was interested in birth. Not very many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was, we're, we're not even exposed to. Like, that how the time, hell do you, yeah. where only one partner needed to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you had your mother as childcare free. Well, and this is the thing, too, like, I wondered, because I also And your aunt and your times. grandmother and your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> like and you your, had and more of a village because and, of and, like, yeah. tradition, the culture at the time. But I wonder about this, too, because when I hear, like, and that's another thing. It's like the... It's often mothers like adding to that shame. And I wonder if that is a projection, a carrying over of their own shame for different oh, yeah. reasons, different contexts. There's obviously mm-hmm. a difference between our generation and the last generation with its challenges. And like, are yes. they bringing this to us? And now it's like, you know what? You can have my shame. I'm just going to dump it on you. Yes. I'm going to get some validation for myself, even though it's kind of not really the way to go about it. And uh, in comparison and, uh, and here's an extra load of shame for you. Have fun. Yeah. Welcome to whammy number three. What happens when you become a mother to your relationship with your mother or parents, right? So yeah, if all of the ways that you were parented are all of a sudden on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that is massively underestimated as mm-hmm. driving us to do things differently. Um and it's certainly used as a source of shame, you know, from the, from like, well, you know, back in the day, we just let our kids go outside. We were fine. You turned out fine. I turned out fine. Everyone's fine. Except we're not right. If it was Except we're not. And I mean, here's the thing. Who wants to be the new first time mother who says, um, wow, I really don't like my baby. Wow. I, I, I feel like I regret becoming a parent because it's so hard or like all of a sudden I can't do the things that I used to do or I don't know who the hell I am anymore because this thing happened, right? Or it's so much harder than I thought it would be or I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. It's like we associate struggle with weakness Mm -hmm. instead Mm -hmm. of, and I think part of that is like normalizing that becoming a parent is a massive opportunity for transformation, whether you're ready for it or not. And you cannot predict what that's like. I think we, I do think we like intuitively, energetically sense that. I actually feel like some of the fear that people have around giving birth, it's been really channeled and focused into like the pain. But the reality is you can get an epidural, you can get a spinal, you can get completely put out if you want. You can check out physically for that experience a hundred percent if you want to. I think that part of what drives that fear is this deep knowing that there is a massive transition about to happen. You cross a threshold. You have no idea what's on the other side. Not really. You've often been told lots of crazy, scary stories from other people about the physical experiences, but never enough of the stories of what it was like being the parent and becoming the parent and what it was like. I'm sure our parents didn't certainly didn't tell us what the early days of being parents were like, right? Or if they remember it, if they feel like they can even verbalize what that was like, right? So 
again, it's not normalized. It's pathologized. The experience is pathologized, which is by nature isolating. It's by, and by nature, we go, something must be wrong with me if I feel like I'm not connected to my baby. Because the moment I had this baby, I was told that I was supposed to feel this giant wave of love and relief. And the thing is, if somebody is cut you open and rip that baby out one way or another, if somebody's used a vacuum to get that baby out, or if even that baby's come out on its own, but it's been really fast and intense, or even if the birth has been perfectly whatever you expected it to be, not not everyone has the same experience physiologically afterwards, and not everyone has, we just aren't all the same. Yeah. And so we don't talk about the spectrum of experience and that kind of stuff really, I think does impact our mental health because, because of course, shame and and stigma do right. And, and we don't want to admit to people, even to doctors, we want to say like, I'm a good mom. I'm, I'm figuring it out. I'm learning. I'm doing a good job instead of like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Actually don't know. There's no measure here. The measure. And, and by the way, the stakes are pretty freaking high. Because uh, that's an entire human being that you're supposed to be raising and letting off into the world to potentially, you know, do all these great things or become like a serial killer. Right. You know, no pressure. And that's always the thing. Like the serial killer's like, who was don't the ever fuck it up. And the, but yeah, and the the like as you were even describing this, right? Like the thoughts of like, I don't know if I like my baby. Like, there's just this this extra layer of loneliness that you can just yes. attribute to that because. Can those words be, first of all, could those, could, could a mother or a birthing parent allow those words to even percolate in inside their head, let alone speak out loud, let alone bring to a professional is the professional just going to be like, oh, you're doing a fine job. Don't worry. Everybody feels this way. Like kind of, you know, here's an SSRI if, if, you know, if you really are feeling you're going through a hard time. But can somebody like unpack that, like normalize that, help you process yeah. that? What often happens if we're not allowed to acknowledge these pieces is that they grow, you know, mm-hmm. and they get real loud. We, we start to like wonder why, what kind of person am I to have these thoughts? What kind of person am I yeah. if I, you know, you know, whereas doesn't, doesn't Brene Brown talk about this, like something about shining a light on shame, shame dries up when you shine a light. Yeah. She's like, take it out, put it in, take your, like, take it out and bring it out in the sunshine, like put a light on it. Nothing Mm -hmm. kills shame faster. Right. Just blurt it out. Like, and you know, but the, it's easier said than done. Like part of it is finding a container where that could even, it could be the container of your own self-compassion and allowing, but it's, it's difficult. Right. And, and again, if there's zero normalization or speaking about these experiences and they're all just pathologized and reduced biologically to something wrong, it's, it's, it makes it almost impossible. And, and then, yeah. And, and the wounding as well that you're mentioning the birthing process. And, you know, if somebody has had a childhood of trauma, Mm -hmm. And now you are raising a child. There's nothing more triggering for many people than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I I love that Brene, obviously, I'm a big fan. And she also, but she also says the caveat to that is you, people have to earn your vulnerability. You don't just, you know. Yeah. And I think that's really, that can be really tricky to manage in the worlds of social media. It is, there is nothing scarier than being in a mom's group. Okay. Like online, a mom's group is like jumping in a tank of sharks. Like Uh, you don't even know 
where they are. There's like, some sublimated shame right there, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's scary as shit. It's that's, like, yeah. are you an anti-vaxxer? Are you, uh, yeah. oh, you're so pro-formula. Oh, you're so pro-breastfeeding. Oh, you had a natural birth. I have this. Like there, and and it's mm. such, I feel like it's it's such a good example of like, <laughs> whoa, we are so freaked out mm-hmm. and so convinced that there's yeah. something like there's something wrong, but also like I must appear like there's nothing wrong. Yeah, that yeah. we cannot accept anyone else's experiences or preferences. Like why why would I care if you fed your baby from a bottle? Well, why does that impact me? Like it doesn't. Yeah. But what it does impact is if I'm someone who believes that only good that good mothers only breastfeed their babies, mm-hmm. then to prove to myself that that's mm-hmm. true, I have to make you believe that. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, those things, so what happens there is you become scared to engage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you certainly don't want to throw out there that you don't like your baby or that you hate your husband Can or you that like, <laughs> you're never going to have sex again because you're traumatized by what happened to you in birth or mm-hmm. it feels terrible. So, it further isolates people into their like, well, I'm just going to have to figure it out. And I'm, you know, while I'm nursing my baby at three in the morning, I'm going to be Google searching what to do about it. Like, this is not the time for your Google PhD. Okay. Put the phone down, get, get a professional who can Mm -hmm. see that, right? Like you do not need to figure that out. It It should not be on your list. Um, and so, yes, do we have containers for that? Mm -hmm. How can healthcare providers, um, offer that and ha- and are they trauma informed right yeah. yeah that is huge no most people are not trauma informed so they can end up re-traumatizing people in that sense too but it's and it's not just about like there's the normalizing of those feelings happen but then there's the kind of like support around okay what do you if you don't like your baby what else is going on here mm-hmm. no you're not a bad parent you're somebody who's having a really difficult experience probably mm-hmm. and yeah maybe you know that that can be a sign of postpartum depression and anxiety I don't even care what the label is yeah, because yeah. to me the label doesn't matter it's the experience the yeah. experience dictates the course of action right and we're still going to look at it from all the ways like do you hate your baby because your partner works 60 hours a week and your baby screams all night and you can't get them to latch with the breast so you're bleeding but you refuse to give a bottle because your mother told you the good mothers only breastfeed and you can't get to any of the groups and none of your friends have any kids so you can't talk to anybody about what's happening and so you hate the baby because the baby is the thing that's causing that or is it all the other shit? Mm-hmm. Or Maybe even do you just need to grieve your pre? Yeah, like mom. Straight life? up. Like, do you just? Maybe need- you just need some strategy on how mm-hmm. to manage that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you need some and and a hundred percent. I would say people need community. They need community that they can be vulnerable mm-hmm. with and that they can trust. And like healthcare providers, therapists are part of that. But part of what you're navigating, like when I'm talking with the moms groups is, um, you know, even people who, you know, who you've been friends with for a long time, add a couple babies into the picture. People have different opinions, you know, with, with my daughter, with the sleep thing, I have, I have lots of my friends who love me and who support me, who were great, wonderful parents who were like, you just need to let her cry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I actually can't do that. Mm-hmm. I actually can't do that because my own nervous system is so hyperactivated Mm -hmm. that I, I just can't tolerate it. And so like, 
what I needed was for someone to come to me and say, how can we get you other sleep support? How can we get you support for processing your experience? How can we help determine what's happening with your baby in sleep? How can we regulate your nervous system so that you can tolerate a certain amount of crying, Mm -hmm. which is part of having a baby? how can we figure out what else is happening in your body that might be charging that nervous system up even further or might be causing some of those symptoms? Because we, you know, we know in depression, for instance, that there's often inflammation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, and this is not necessarily in your case, but another factor that's coming to mind is like, what about your attachment styles? Like if you oh, yeah. had a traumatic upbringing and you and there was no attachment with your primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Is there something coming up around that with the baby? Right. And now the yeah. horm- you add the hormones, you add the lack of sleep, you add all of the st- shame, stigma, lack of community. Are you, yep. are you, is, is stuff coming up for you that you never, you know, when stuff yeah. comes up when you start a romantic relationship in, in, in trauma and attachment yes. is something coming up now that you're a yeah. parent. You see it a lot in toddlerhood too, though. I think like in, yes, for sure. In like the early Mm. days too, but I think that the attachment piece really comes out Mm. in toddlerhood in different memories. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. very fascinating because you can see that the the areas and the pieces of parenthood that feel the most sticky are Mm -hmm. often the areas that your parents had the most stickiness with. It's also the areas that we become really rigid about often, right? right? So right. like, you know, and you're like, well, now I got to or, or, or you're just like trying to not become them. Like, That's right. <laughs> you know, you're like, I will only ever acknowledge emotions. And I, you know, we're trying to learn. Yeah. We're trying to learn how to be different and, and not make the same mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to make mistakes. Nobody tells you that. Right. You're like, well, like, is the, is the healthy way the opposite way or is yeah. there something? Yeah. Like it's, there's so much convoluting information out there too. Right. And that's when like, it's not the time to get your PhD in Dr. Google of like, what's going on. Like you need to have, you know, it's sad that we have to build our own village. It's like, mm-hmm. let's just call it what it is. It's heartbreaking that that's something that falls on our plate. It's, it's, it's really intense and isolating and mm-hmm. tragic when in your time of most need, you might not even be able to turn to the people that you used to be able to turn to because they're going to be coming at it from a different angle. Maybe they aren't parents and they don't get it. Or maybe yeah. they're parents and like something happened and they they just can't be with you in that experience, right? Mm-hmm. They can't understand why you're choosing something different, right? And that's why I think people for lack of um, anything else to do turn to just like, well, you're not willing to like do what it takes to get better or or, or worse, like people are doing everything they can and they still feel, they still don't feel good um, yeah. because it might not be those things, right? Like, it's like, if your thyroid is off, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the sleep in the world isn't going to necessarily fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that is an area that should be, that should be standard of care. Like mm-hmm. you, when you go to for that six week appointment, there should be, there is a naturopathic medicine. There's a list. We want to see these measures. How did you do? physically from pregnancy and birth. What's your iron like? Did your red blood cells and hemoglobin normalize after losing all of that blood in that process? What's happening with your thyroid? We know that in pregnancy that we have an increased risk of autoimmune disease afterwards. Um, And often that shows up in the thyroid as Hashimoto's thyroiditis. By the way, the symptoms of Hashimoto's are the exact same symptoms of postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. fatigue, mood swings, 
problems sleeping, changes in appetite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a drug for that. <laughs> Why aren't they testing for that? Yeah. A bioidentical um, drug. <laughs> yeah. Which is there's, replacement. There's, so there's like there's there's those things that are really measurable and then there's the other things that we know like you know nutrient repletion all of that stuff but and and reducing inflammation one of the things that I thought was really fascinating that came out of some of the research um about COVID in pregnancy and postpartum and most of this stuff I'm getting from uh Rebecca Deckler of evidence-based birth if you really want to nerd out um she does she's done an incredible you know, condensing of the research over the last few years. But we did see, even from the early days of COVID, a real increase in postpartum depression, anxiety, but we also saw a pretty sharp increase in postpartum psychosis. And so postpartum psychosis, the difference between that is like, it's the very severe form. It's like dissociative, um, there's delusion, there might be hallucination. It's, you know, it's a very serious condition, scary as hell. And, and those people really do need to like, often they need to be hospitalized for a short period of time and stabilized. They need a lot of support and can't be taken care of. They can't be a primary caregiver. We saw a real increase of that during COVID, which speaks to now that we know more about what was happening, the role of inflammation in the brain and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know, yeah. so how can we address that? How can we give people not only that knowledge, but then tools, right? What, what, how can we impact that? Um, yeah, it's also like bipolar. So it, it, the changes to sleep patterns and daily routines. So like somebody can who has bipolar can have a manic episode from crossing time zones, daylight savings time add on postpartum stress, disrupted sleep. And that's, and and this is very, very common is mothers or birthing parents who have bipolar and and maybe had it before giving birth have triggered, you know, are triggered their manic episodes are triggered and being able to be aware of that, to, to access extra support, to be able to talk to your psychiatrist about the ND, right. That's all important. Like how this process affects your mental health in general, whether you have a predisposing condition or not, you know? Yeah. And knowing that, right. Like knowing that, like, what are the risk factors, right? Like, Mm. you know, a previous history of any mental health issues, right. Uh, any sort of excess stress that's happening during the perinatal period. Do you lose one of your parents during that time? Is your, do your partner lose their job? Is there excess is in particular, is there excess relationship stress between you and the other partner? what's happening, um, in terms of your housing, in terms of finances, um, you know, and then like what's happening in your body. Did you have gestational diabetes? Uh, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. And then we bring into like, what happens during the birth? What happens to the baby afterwards? Did you have issues with feeding? Um, you know, what kind of support did you have? So there's so many different things. And yes, knowing that going in also, like, did you have a previous, experience. So I knew going into having my second and third child, oh, hey, I'm at higher risk for this. Um, and, and all of those pregnancies and all of those postpartums were different. And I definitely had struggles in all of them, but in slightly different ways. And that's even knowing it. Like, that's where I think we come back to like, it's not knowing it and then being like, well, now I know, and I've done all these things and it's not going to happen to me. It's like, this might happen. Mm-hmm. This, there's a good chance some form of this is going to happen. 
what's normal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quote unquote. And that's the what's thing, like, tolerable yeah. for you because sometimes yeah. what's normal is not tolerable, right? Yeah. Or, you know, and can we use it like not only as an opportunity for healing because you deserve to feel better, but because that experience, there's so much opportunity there. Like I feel like it's such an untapped source of power. Like when people, nothing drives you to want to change the world more than when you bring a person into it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want my daughter or my sons for that matter to go through that. And that's mm-hmm. like, for me, like I obviously have a strong personal attachment to it because I want people to have what I didn't have. I want them to be able to access it easier. I don't want them to go into a specialist's office and be told there's nothing wrong with you except for that you're a mom, as though being a mom is a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And also like you are, you haven't lost your baby weight yet. So probably that's why your joints hurt. Like GFY lady, wow. what, Yeah. how dare you even say that to me? Yeah. Which is by the way, what I said to her, I was like, you, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, so funny, what is like, the working time, diagnosis here? Like run, <laughs> run the fucking blood work. <laughs> that should be the title of your book. <laughs> you crossed the wrong mama. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like every time I go to a conference and we always talk about like, you know, the, the, the shaming in, in like, like weight shame and body stigma. And I'm always thinking like, as we're talking about it, I'm always thinking like, who is experiencing that? Like, does anybody really go to their doctor? Their doctor just tells them like, oh, your problems are cause you haven't lost, but it, it literally is happening all the time. And it can be super subtle, right? Yeah. It can be super subtle. It's like, it can be subtle in ways that's like, like I said, like just, you know, okay. So we know, and this is where I'm like, you know, people trying in ways to like integrate, like integrate other quote unquote alternative stuff. It's like, so exercise would be really good. It can really mm-hmm. impact your mood. It's like, yeah. yeah, I can't get out of bed in the morning when my baby's screaming. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm not getting up and running six miles. Some people, We'll do that. Some people that mm-hmm. can help help with it can help, right? It does help. We know that endorphins yeah. exercise does feel better. But you know, like we were talking about before, you start with standing on your balcony or your porch yeah. or in your front door with the screaming baby with your face in the air. And that's that's how you start, right? Like yeah. let's break it down into what people can actually do. Don't send them away with a prescription that they're not gonna fill and some advice that they won't follow, knowing that they won't follow it. And it needs to be people. I think that's where the context and the nuance is like, what's happening for Mm -hmm. you? How can we impact it on all those levels? How can we work on all of those different pathways that lead to good mental health? And how can we break it down into steps that are manageable? And sometimes when people, sometimes when I have people come see me, I say to them, where are you? on this line in terms of your capacity, because one of the things that's really difficult about depression or anxiety is that what you need is capacity to get better and you, and what you lack is capacity. So sometimes you need a flotation device. And that's where I think sometimes medication can be good for people. Mm -hmm. It can be, it can be the cheapest, fastest, easiest way to a flotation device. Um, And that's why I say to people, it's not mutually exclusive. You can be on the meds and we can still work on the root cause because guess what? That just takes care of serotonin or it can be 
if you don't want to be on the meds, then we can do all the other stuff, but we might have to do it in a different way. And we might have to slow our pace. We might have to make it super baby steps until you start to feel better. And there's momentum for your capacity to build, to feel better. That's the other thing. Like it's, we don't think that we're given, we don't give people what the trajectory looks like. And you know that I'm sure you've seen that meme where it's like what we think healing looks like and what it really looks like, right? It's a squiggly, messy, that's, that's what healing looks like. It's also what parenting looks like. Yeah. (laughs) And tell you, nobody told me that it was going to be that chaotic forever. Yeah. So some of it's just like, you know, sometimes it's just like, how can we support you? Like, what do you will, what can you, what can you do? What do you want to be able to do? How can we make it easy and achievable for you? And who else can help you? Because it's not just you. Your community community is medicine, right? Yeah. It's the kind of medicine that we lack and um, the most, right? And that's, you know, it's like, who can, how can, you know, how can we, how can we make it work in the system that we're in? Like, sure, we want to get you fired up. We want to get you feeling better so that you can raise these beautiful children into the world to change it, but also so that we can get you fired up as a human being for whatever reason you're here to do whatever work you're here to do. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of that might be around changing some of the systems. I think that like, I see that a lot in this generation of parents, like here, they're cycle breakers. They are passionate. They are, but they're also exhausted and not supported and depleted and inflamed and all of those things. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to, we have to feel better if we want to do if we want to do that work. We want to do the work to change the world, I guess, right? However, we're doing it. Yeah, we you know we always talk about like with naturopathic medicine, the root cause, and it makes it seem almost like there's one. But, but I think this like the concept, like you're saying, like finding the context, unpacking. But this there's idea many of, roots, yeah. Of yeah, like unraveling the yarn because even like even here in the like there's going to be probably more than one conversation to understand the problem, all the aspects of it, to understand how, mm-hmm. how to start, what threads yeah. to start tugging at to un- and where we want to end up. Maybe we don't even know until we start. What works? Better. No, exactly. Like I've started to, what I've noticed is when I've seen patients multiple times, and sometimes I'm like, I don't really know what, I don't have as much of a plan no. for this patient. And then we end up in a conversation where we, we happen upon a concept and we go deep with it Yeah, and we discover, okay, that's sort of where we need to start. W- what are some of the obstacles we can foresee that might like, you know, like go yeah. for a run. It's like, Okay. First of all, I, I think that's too. Or stressful. take St. John's for it, right? Like people are like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. okay, we'll just like, take like, some St. John's going for then. a run. I think it's probably like too much. Stress. It's like saying like, okay, go on like a low calorie diet, have fun. That's gonna that's gonna be great for everything. It's like no, let's like yeah. start moving energy. How might we start doing that? What do you think about ten minutes of yoga, or stretching, or standing on the porch? Like, yeah. let's talk about this. But also, I'm not you. And what we're real, what's really gonna teach us is 
you know, is when we, when we meet again and discover yeah. that it didn't work for you at all. What you know, did that, work? What didn't work? Exactly. Yeah. There was a massive obstacle that we had no idea. Neither of us knew was yeah. going to show up. Like, cause you didn't see it. You had to uncover it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like and, if you're like, well, I, I can't get out yeah. of bed. And then we discover that actually is you can't, then wh- where do we go yeah. from there? Yeah. And, and now what, like then exactly. What? Yeah. And, it's and not even, a prescribed yeah. course. Right. Exactly. And also I think like here's to toot the naturopathic medicine horn. Like I'm not some all knowing God with a, you know, crystal ball. And why would you want to But be? what I am is that someone who's, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> um, I, I am someone who is curious and compassionate and mm-hmm. I like looking at patterns and I like tugging and seeing where things move. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who can listen And I'm someone who really cares and believes that like you as the person that actually the biggest healing is you figuring it out. My job is to give you the resources and to guide you and to help facilitate that process, right? Like my, to have a continuous source of space and support and ideas, you know what I mean? Like it is a partnership. And when I'm working with my patients, that's exactly what I'm doing. And it's also why I feel okay to say like, I have these things happen to me. I still Mm -hmm. have those things happening. It doesn't mean I can't be a great mom and a great doctor and a loving wife and like a good community citizen. Like it's not Mm -hmm. what we think it is. It's not you know, across to bear, it's part of us. Like, you know, we could get into like parts therapy, right? Like it is mm-hmm. a piece of me. I carry, I say to people often going into labor, um, fear gets to be in the car. It's not in the driver's seat, depression, anxiety, an activated nervous system, whatever it is, that's part of like, what's driving your mental health is in the car. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't need to drive who you are, or what you're doing all the time. And when it is driving what you're doing or how you're feeling, or it's taking over, that's when we need to like rein it back in. Right. So it's mm-hmm. you, the person's job, like that's the circle of care and the community piece is like, how can we distribute that load and help you carry it and figure out what to do with it. Right. Yeah. I know you that you, I really was always really interested in when you were talking about like narrative medicine. And I think that this applies to this stage of life and these experiences so much because there, that's such a big part of our story, right. Mm -hmm. Is going through these experiences, whatever parts we experience and like, how do we weave meaning into that? Cause they're coming with us, right. You don't get to change your mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait. Like, sorry. Like, uh, go back in there. Mind. Yeah. Yeah. Opting out now. <laughs> Maybe we would if we knew what it was like. Well, well and this but, like, you know, because so throughout this conversation, I'm like, should we in my head, I'm like, should we like like go over the symptoms <laughs> now that we're like an hour and a half in of postpartum depression anxiety? But yeah. I think that what I really like is this distinction. Well, you know, we can say what's normal, what's tolerable. Yeah. But, the, but you know, even like meta to that More specific because, gap. Yeah. I, I see like as a, as a mental health ND, I see the, the, um, the benefit of diagnoses and talking about them and, and mm-hmm. understanding what someone's diagnosis is and how we can use that to guide us in, in decision-making and finding tools yeah. that help. And, and then 
going under that to understand what some of the factors are, what we, how, to, how we can peruse the literature, et cetera. It's nice to label things. We like to label things as humans. Yeah. And you have labels and then you have the weaving of narrative and you mentioned narrative medicine, narrative therapy. And yeah, it's like, do, do you have to have a diagnosis? Like, I don't know if in your story, if you got a diagnosis, it sounded like your doctor was like, hey, you're fine. Sleep. <laughs> was it so, communicated? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, how do we weave and understand and connect? Like, you know, I'm just thinking of a conversation I had with a pregnant patient who said, who was experiencing a lot of anxiety over eating the wrong thing and not being mm. able to take supplements because of morning sickness, et cetera, which is yeah. super common. Yeah. And I always remember one of our colleagues and I always tell this story, if anyone's bringing that up with me, I'm always like, yeah. because my focus is not pregnancy, but I'm always like, Oh, one of my, one of our colleagues, like one of our mentors yeah. uh, told us in our class one year, I think it was first year that all she had for her entire first trimester were quarter pounders with cheese. <laughs> and oh, I'm like, Lord. her kids are functional and everybody's fine. <laughs> I'm like, so there so is far, this, right? like, you yeah. definitely have this like, um, biological buffer zone <laughs> where you don't have to be oh, yeah. perfectly, but unpacking, like that's not necessarily something we have to diagnose or pathologize. Like we can just talk right. about it. We yeah. can understand where that's coming from. We can connect it to other worries that yeah. this person may have. Like there's a lot, there's a lot there, right? Like w- the conversation led us to talking about work and what that will look like after yeah. the baby's born and et cetera. And making decisions, trying to get a midwife during COVID, which was another massive issue. Yeah. And it's yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be a diagnosis. We can we can work with things as they are. Yeah, a diagnosis can yeah, like can mm-hmm. it be helpful? Like it depends. Like it depends. Mm-hmm. Is it helpful? Who is it helpful for? Right? right? Like, right. but I think like in terms of symptoms, like what it looks like, I think that you're right. Like differentiating between like what's the difference between um, like when are you tipping over? And so mm-hmm. the first thing I would say is, well that tipping point to me is individual. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, it's when do you feel like you're tipping over into something? When do you not feel well? When do you feel like it's a lot harder than you thought it should be? Because that means you need support, whether or not you have anxiety or depression or whatever, right? But in terms of like the actual clinical diagnosis, obviously we, most people would use the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale, which you can Google. Mm -hmm. It's very generalized. I don't think it captures most people. Right. It can, mm-hmm. And it because the reason why it doesn't is because it talks about like on a scale of one to four, zero being none, four being like almost all the time. It's like, are you crying all the time? Um, are you having thoughts of hurting yourself or the baby? Um, are you like losing interest in things that you previously had interest in? I, that one I particularly take offense to because I'm like, yeah, what's the difference between losing interest and having no time? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you're like, like it's it or, helps or me like, to not be interested anymore. Are you socially isolated anymore? because of a pandemic or because your baby screams or because you're having trouble breastfeeding so you are afraid to feed your baby in public but you're also worried about giving them a bottle? Like there's so much context there. But in terms of like mm-hmm. actually like it's like are you having like you know, are you is your sleep disrupted? Are you sleeping all the time or are you sleeping none of the time and like operating a manifesto? Right? <laughs> are you eating so much that you feel sick or are you not eating at all? And so like, there's another example of like, there's nuance there. Um, are you not eating because you're 
hyper-focused on taking care of the baby and there's no food and you don't know how to feed yourself and there's no way to get out to get food and no one leaves you food. Like Mm -hmm. it's, there can be so many reasons, but like the actual, you know, are you having flashbacks or like two experiences during the birth and labor? That's another one that I don't think that's on the the scale, but that's one that I would add Mm -hmm. to it. And I would also add like, are you, are you ruminating and thoughts about like whether you're being a good parent and like the anxiety too can be the hypervigilance is really tricky because of course it's natural for you when you first have a baby, you are hyper aware of that baby because you're learning the baby's cues you're learning. So like with my first baby, someone said to me, well, you'll hear the difference in her cry between hunger, tiredness, scared. No, I couldn't hear anything. It was like panic. Mm -hmm. Everything was panic. Mm -hmm. But with my second child and my third child, I could. Some of that's temperament. The first one is like, it is panic no matter what. It's panic if a tooth is coming out. It's panic if something bad's happening. The second one was like, there's no problems. Yeah, I will only cry when there's a very serious thing happening, which by the way is almost never. Right. So like it's temperament too, but Mm -hmm. so like, are you intrusive thoughts might be think is an, is another example of like not on the scale, but is really part of our diagnosis for postpartum anxiety. It's like, are you holding the baby and about to walk down the stairs and then having a thought of like, I'm going to drop the baby Mm -hmm. or like, I'm accidentally going to drop the baby down the stairs. And it's just your, your mind saying, do you know how to go down the stairs with the baby? Because you've never gone down the stairs with the baby before. So I'm not sure that you know how to do that yet. Mm -hmm. So like, and there are skills that we can help people build, um, to deal with those things as well. Right. Um, I also would put in there like that some other more subtle symptoms might be things like refusing help like refusing letting anyone else hold your baby or feeling super worried or scared about leaving the baby with even their other parent or like people that you really trust can sometimes be like signs that things are tipping over into an area where you're struggling more than you need to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely shame and, and guilt, like having thoughts of like, I'm a bad parent or, you know, and, and the more serious things like, I can't take this anymore, you know, suicidal ideation, which is often, again, like people don't talk about it, but can be really common. And it's, mm-hmm. it, to me, that's a sign that like, you're out of your window of tolerance. Now you can't yeah. tolerate the feelings that are coming up or the input that's happening. And so you're looking for an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, what you might just need is like five minutes in the bathroom by yourself. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that some, you know, someone said to me in parenthood that like, again, blew my mind and that I really didn't really felt like I didn't want to do, but sometimes had to do was like, if you really feel freaked out, it is safer for you to put your crying baby in the crib and step outside. Your baby is safe in the crib. They are not going to die. They're going to be upset for sure, but it's better than you being super dysregulated, holding a baby freaking out like go take a minute and just get back in your body yeah you know and so those are some of the symptoms like that would come up like sometimes there's physical symptoms obviously fatigue there can be pain there can be digestive upset Mm -hmm. um I think people know when something's happening that when they don't feel good and whether or not that's like I don't care about the pathology to me I'm like do you have postpartum depression or not? Are you having 
uh, are you having what would be considered a normal amount of struggle transitioning to being a parent? To me, that's normal. Mm. It still warrants support. It yeah. still warrants help. There's still tons that we can do, you know? Yeah. And like and we might not fix it all, but like we can, we can work on it. We can, and we can help you get better. Right. And when you don't have the village, right. Like this, this, um, yeah. lack of village and maybe just the reality of that. It's like, is it not normal then to feel like you're not enough? Like then we have to kind of normalize that to every parent in the nuclear family who's going to yeah. feel like they're not enough. And how do we work with that? You know, like, can we bring that into the conversation? Cause yeah, like there could be all of these symptoms and, and then there may be just these, like these narratives that run through almost every parent's experience just because of the, um, the, the deprivation of these, like maybe more these social needs that we have that very few of us have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's like, it's, they're not, they're not separate, right? Like it's like the social environmental support needs can't be divorced from the physical needs from the emotional mental needs. Like it's, they're all really, really complexly woven together. Right. Like, and, and I think that it's the same as when we're dealing with other stuff in the body that like it is, it seems like this tangled mess, which Mm -hmm. is really overwhelming. it's really overwhelming, especially if you're the person experiencing it and you're trying to untangle it yourself. Uh, it's not just about the knowledge, right? If it was about the knowledge, then people wouldn't like, you can get yeah. the knowledge. Yeah. It's about the strategy, right? It's about where do you start and how do you know if it's working and what do you do next? What else can we layer on? And it's like, it's that overwhelm is like, that's, I think that's really truly like the, the saddest part about not having the village is also that people aren't with you in those experiences to normalize them, but also just to see how you're doing. Cause it's hard for us to, to even necessarily know how we're doing, especially if we're in, we're not in context of what's happening with other people. We're not necessarily seeing what it looks like because people aren't portraying it mm-hmm. for real. Right. Like mm-hmm. how many people would ever say to me, yeah, I really freaked out at my partner and like screamed at him last night and like threw a glass at the wall or whatever. Like nobody's telling you that. Mm-hmm. How often is that happening? More often than you think. Yeah. You don't tell anyone that that's happening. Nobody yeah. can give you tools to help deal with that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of pressure. I think that there's also like, that then there's a lot of pressure on that partner to figure it out too. And like, you're just, it's a, you're drowning, right? It's easy for people to drown. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, that's why I think that concept of like impossible parenting really resonates because this, the systems don't exist there, right? We don't have the systems and we don't have, we always want a framework really for how to deal with it. But with everyone, it's sort of a slightly different, right? Um, it's just, it's just individual. Right. And it's also like, it's so tied. I think one of the reasons why it's tough too, is like, it's tied to that stigma piece. Right. Wouldn't it be great if like the, 
birth mother influencers call their professional photographer over when they're throwing glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Quick, like right. we need the we need the photo shoot to happen so we can actually. I, I, I'll acknowledge yeah. your Instagram is quite real, and you have a lot of good shares on your story yeah. that are very just like. Let's talk from these different angles. Let's just say yeah. the the things we don't normally say. Like let's just blurt out the, the things we're not supposed yeah. to <laughs> I'm a bit of a blurter. It's true. <laughs> Which is great. You know, it's like that's just like who I am, right? And yeah. that's who I've always been. And for me, like I was just like, I care more about other people seeing that that's okay than I care about what I look like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's for me, it's been just such an experience of like, it's just been so transformative for me on so many levels. I feel like mm-hmm. in for my story, it feels like part of why I went through that was to be here. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I really, yeah, I just feel really passionate about people going through, like, you know, helping people go through that. Right. And just mm-hmm. like, normalizing it and 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 changing the way that we look at it because I really feel like that is a huge impact on the way that our world works right like we we raise these humans and they go off into the world and they they become leaders and artists and innovators and um you know there's so much pressure to get it right in that sense but there's like we also raise ourselves in that process right like we heal ourselves it's I that really love that idea that comes from in, indigenous like ancestral knowledge that like the seven generations ahead and the seven generations behind um which I learned from Asha Frost who's like just wrote a beautiful book called um you are the medicine oh yeah. my gosh yeah read it it's so beautiful and yeah, it's, it's so my, I pre-ordered it I was like I really want Asha's to yeah. like she mm-hmm. was a she's been a mentor to me I've learned so much about stepping into my own story and my own medicine from her I will be forever grateful and and she shares so much of that in her book and I really believe that like I think that we all carry just a gift that we bring to the world and we need to be able to give it. And part of it is that we, that we can set up the systems and the support people to be able to do that. And it happens, like you said, like a tree doesn't have one root. There's so many. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we can work on the systemic stuff and we can work on the biological stuff. We can work on the mental, emotional stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And we can, I, I do think that we can change the way that people parent and the way that we experience parenthood. Yeah. This is beautiful. Yeah. And I know like you were always into babies and birth, like even like at school, I think I remember we were at like our frosh, whatever that was called, unity summit. And I remember sitting at a table with you and hearing you, you were like talking about it then (laughs) on our first week week of school. And so it's great to see this evolution to see like, (laughs) yeah, we don't, you know, what was it? Oh my gosh. I was listening to this audio series by a psychoanalyst, Francis Weller. (gasps) Oh, I love Francis. So good. Yeah. It's worth anyone that wants to get, it's like an eight part, I think series a hundred bucks, but really, really good. And he's like, you know, our wounds are also our greatest, like our deepest wound is our greatest gift. And we never, you know, and there's the um, acquired wounds and the required wounds. And, you know, it's like, you can, again, you don't want to put that on, on anyone's story to be like, good thing you experienced that because now here yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good for yeah. me, you know, but this is like, yeah, when we, when we alchemize that into, yes. I want to use this to help other people and to learn and to understand what happened to me, ha- like it's happening to others. Yeah. 
even this concept, like this, this vulnerability, this authenticity that you have, right? So you're like this blurting out thing, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a, there's obviously like a, a courage and vulnerability in that. And you're like, when I blurt, you know, I'm going to resonate. Chances are I'll resonate with a ton of people who aren't hearing this yeah. message. And I'll probably also, you know, make a lot of people like not feel like feel uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Feel uncomfortable. And is that just their, uh, yeah. you know, subversion of, of, of their wounds and maybe they just need to hear it anyways. And so, um, yeah. you know, we need to, yeah, there, there is this, um, and people can't, conversations. Yeah. I was gonna say people can't alchemize, alchemize, whatever that word is. I don't even know if I used it That's, properly. I think you did, but they can't integrate that story into their life and in, and, and into their purpose and all that stuff. If they feel like shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you're not still in you're it. Like, you're not teaching about it. Depression and I'm yeah. like writing my story and changing the world. No, you're mm-hmm. struggling to survive. Yeah. And so that's bleeding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like it's the, I think, you know, sometimes that can be a nice carrot to dangle. Right. I know like, and I definitely went through therapy when I was going through this, a lot of that was so helpful for me. Um, and she used to say to me, you know, think about Brene Brown when she wrote her first book and she actually, I think it was rising strong that she wrote when she was talking about um, my nervous breakdown slash like, you know, awakening. Right. She's like, when it gets hard, when the slog is like really difficult and you're in, you're in it and it feels like it's never going to end. Think about like, you can think about that there is a purpose and there is a meaning or there could be a purpose and a meaning to this at the end. And that can help motivate you. But I think that, but I would take it one step further to say like, then let's work on the other levels. Like the mental, emotional, purpose-driven piece of it is there, but also you might just need to get your baby's tongue tie clipped. Yeah. Or you might need to like take some selenium for your thyroid. Yeah. Or you might need to eat a bunch of protein in the morning because your blood sugar needs to be regulated and you're not, you don't have the building blocks to build the hormones and, and all of the other pieces. Like it doesn't have to be for people who will be scared off by this conversation becoming extremely woo yeah. <laughs> and yeah. spiritual. Sorry, it doesn't everybody. have to be that, right? Yeah. Like you, 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 you can always just you go can, back to protein if that's the only takeaway. Yeah, you can just, yeah. Like, <laughs> let's just go back to, like I said, like basic bitch, right? Yeah. You can go yeah. back to like what nutrition, sleep, whatever. But mm-hmm. those things can be, it's, I think it's having access to a greater, deeper understanding of all the ways that that can, all the ways that we can impact that, right? Yeah. And so sleep is not, not just like you, you're, yeah. you have more options than sleep training. You have like understanding what normal infant sleep is, learning how to sleep bank, getting support for sleep, night doulas, uh, dealing with anxiety you might be keeping up at night. It might be learning how to bed share. It might be, you know, using herbs or supplements to encourage sleep. It might be having a conversation with the fair play deck with your partner about like dividing roles and parenting, because guess what? Your husband can night parent too, even (laughs) if you breastfeed. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's fleshing it out, right? It's, it's fleshing it out. And it's like, and it's, and it's so contextual to that person, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, there's no like, you know, recipe book, let's say. There yeah. isn't. And that's why it can, that's why I think choosing people to, 
to be a part of your circle of care is really important. Like your obstetrician, your, your midwife, your, you know, lactation consultants, pelvic floor physiotherapists. Um, you know, I'm not an expert in everything, but I can connect you to an expert in just about everything, right? Like getting a therapist who you drive with, or maybe you're doing like a group thing, or maybe it's figuring out like which friends you can talk to and opening that conversation. Sometimes, you know, people are scared to say what's happening to them, but when they do with the right people, it's like, oh, me too. That's happening for me too. And sometimes, honestly, that can go a long way. It's just like, oh, wow, that was hard for you. I will never forget a patient of mine who were talking about this. And I think this was like when I was first like coming around to like sharing my own experiences. And I had a bad experience with a colleague of ours at like a gathering. And I was really struggling after my son, Woody, and we were in this like group sharing circle. And I was like, you know, it's, it's really hard when I see people who are in the same situation as me, not to like share that I've been there because sometimes I feel so moved by their story that I want to just tell them, like, I want to connect like as a human being. And like, I don't know where the line is. Right. And, uh, a, you know, a bunch of the colleagues were talking about like how we, we, we dance on that line all the time, right? We're human beings. Therapists self and then one PSD. Yeah, right. right? And yeah. then one person was like, oh no, oh no, no, that is crossing a line that is bad. That takes over the process. It refocuses to you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, oh, oh my God, like, okay, I shouldn't do that. So how do I show up as that person? Right. And I what changed it for me was I was talking to this patient of mine and she was talking about it. And she said, you know, like, I just, I just see someone like you. And I'm like, how come I can't just be X, Y, and Z? And I was like, oh no, it stops here. I'm like, no, (laughs) this, you don't know me. (laughs) Like, you don't know me. You don't know the experiences like, and because you don't know me because I haven't shown you. And it's not that you need to know every thought and personal experience, but mm-hmm. yeah, you do need to see me as a human being and as a parent who's in the process of actively growing and changing. And that liberates you mm-hmm. to do that. Right. And there is, yes, of course, a fine line of disclosure and, and yeah. recentering, but there is like that then we feel, then that's how we build the community too. And I think that that's a real difference between our medicine and conventional medicine too, is like, it's, it's not authoritarian. It's not, you know, we're, it's like, a, it's a collective effort, right? It's mm-hmm. a facilitative relationship, but. Centered, all the, yeah. good, all the words, mm-hmm. all the good words, all the good words, but. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, so if you're like, okay, I have to be a Freudian blank slate where I just, I don't even emote. I just sit there and receive the story. Then yeah. now you're going to be a projection of, of somebody's insecurities. So now you're the perfect parent to this patient. And you're like, well, me sharing a little bit could help you just to norm, like, and you know, psychoeducation, like normalization yeah. is so powerful. Normalization is very, very Powerful. Maybe that's social media's. You know? Maybe that is the the backhanded gift of social media. Yeah, Certainly, exactly. there's lots of there's lots of problems with it, and I think it drives a lot of again, like mm-hmm. promoting, especially in that way, this sense of perfection. Right? It's yeah, like all the exactly. all the beautiful pictures. Right? Or the but, I made it itis, or something. My friend calls it this, where we we yeah. tell our story of like 
you know, I had this really horrible experience and now I'm on the other side of it and yeah. here I am to guide you through the valley. To of guide death. you through it. Yeah. And no, yeah. It, you know, because that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody's, nobody's it's a like lot more dynamic without a scar, right? Like, yeah, know. right. Well, so, and Renee talks yeah. about that too, but right. Like sharing the grit as it's happening and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we're all just, we're all just learning, right? Who was it said we're all just walking each other home? Like that always resonates for me. Yeah. Rama does. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, like we are all, I hate mm-hmm. that the pandemic stole my tagline of we're all in this together because now it's ruined forever. But it's <laughs> yeah, true. No, like we like are, yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> yes, we're like, but it's, it is there, it is really, it is really true. Like we are all in that, in this experience together, when we are another parents, not parents, everyone, like we're all, and so, and we all have mental health and we all need support and deserve support. I think that's the other thing. And I I think that like my, the message I'm trying to get across is like, we can get better and there's not just like one way to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and behind that is like, you deserve to get better. You deserve to feel well and be supported because often there's that underlying belief system that like, like you said, that there's something that feels like I'm not, there's something wrong with me. There's something I'm not good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And that translates, I think, into like the way we show up in the rest of our lives. It translates Mm -hmm. to how we show up for other people too. So. And this is Francis Weller. He's like, there's three things we do with our wounds. We conclude I'm bad. um, I'm guilty. Like it's my fault and I'm being punished. And he's like, you know, the wounding is inevitable. We're all, we're not, none of us are going to get through this without any scars. And, and, you know, and some obviously have it rougher than others, but when we start to draw conclusions, we add this layer, right. Of, you know, some it's, something's wrong with me. And it's Mm -hmm. it's an unfortunate uh, thing to add because, you know, this is, yeah, it's happening. Like you said, just those statistics should tell us something, right? One in seven, one in three, one in 10. That's like a a large, large proportion of people. Like if you're at a mom's group and there's 10 people in that group, these are at least one is dealing with something. Um, Oh yeah. And well, and we, and like I said, with with COVID, like it's looking more like one in four, like literally doubled. So, Mm -hmm. and, and that is by the way, people who are like, self like disclosing that right because yeah, those yeah, are exactly. those are stats canada that's someone who's disclosed that to a healthcare provider mm-hmm. not you exactly. know i think the covid statistic was on a survey so you know that maybe a little bit higher maybe a little more realistic than maybe it was always that yeah right? totally yeah it, like they're, yeah. Now they're paying more attention and yeah, and then you think of those like online Facebook mom groups and, and all of the, yeah. And so you're like, yeah. okay, you know, one in four of these parents might be dealing with something pretty, you know, hard. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that might speak to them like, yes, like when, mm-hmm. when do we tip over into it being yeah. pathology and like, and, and again, like, does that matter or does it matter? Like, you know. I guess the line for some people would be like functioning, right? Like when their functioning is impacted, when their parenting is impacted, and that might be different for different people. But Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, how do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you're going to be tired when you have a newborn. Like it takes a while to adjust to that sleep pattern. It's an intense learning curve. Um, But how do you feel overall about what's happening and what your experience is like? 
and and can you can you ride the waves right like can you yeah. it's not you know it's that's the other thing it's not like a destination be like and now I'm and now I'm fine and now parenting is easy and now that's not how it works mm-hmm. you know you got to learn to surf yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's never, there's never a moment in surfing, right? Like there, it's just yeah. a, co- a continuous. Maybe that's why I'm terrified of surfing, Talia. It's too, it's too close to home. It's too metaphorical. It's literally a yeah. metaphor for everything. Before I even surfed, I was watching it being like, this is really like just watching people try and get out past all the whitewater. I was like, this is a metaphor for the struggle, like the tenacity. The, and The struggle <laughs> is real. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is. And then when you yeah. start adding in wipeouts, now you have a whole other, yeah, you can really figure a lot out when you're surfing about yourself too. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I go. bet. I bet. Yeah. There but this is go. it. It's like it's a know, whole other podcast. You can surf, surf as a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> you should when do it's one. overwhelming and you have to go in and you're like, I can't be out here. It's too much. And then, you know, and then extend that metaphor to life. And then maybe you need yeah. a break or help, you know? And yeah. Uh, when, when you're feeling like that, how do you feel? What do you need? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's uh, with my, that's like our family tagline is, um, say what you feel, ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not working super well yet, but I, I'm (laughs) going to stick with it. I'm, I, I'm confident it's going to take eventually. That's actually a really, that's really good. That's a really good, that's like kind of non-violent like, communication, right? It's like, yeah, I'm, just like I'm, I'm owning my say own Say what feeling. you're feeling. Like, yeah. what, what are you feeling and how do we, you know, what do you need? Just tell me, you know, it doesn't how work I'm with the toddler. That you are letting me have a cookie. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Sounds like you're feeling frustrated that you need a <laughs> snack. I don't know if it's a cookie, but yeah. <laughs> the hanger. Oh boy. The hanger. Blood sugar regulation is important for everyone. Yeah, that, this is, yeah, for the listeners that check out, if you haven't been exposed to some of my content, blood, blood sugar regulation, blood sugar regulations, like huge, you know, if we could fix that, if that was something we could put in the drinking water, we'd probably have a lot less uh, business. Yes, probably. <laughs> well, and so that's the thing that I think is like, a, mm-hmm. as another like good takeaway piece, right? Which is like, they're in in the age of so much information, social media, Google, books, groups, courses. It's not the lack of information; it's mm-hmm. the lack of strategy about what to yeah. do with it. And when yeah. you are drowning, you don't Google how to swim. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. call for help. You get a flotation device. You go take mm-hmm. swimming lessons or whatever it is, right? Like you, you get the help and support, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, and for some reason, that doesn't translate into. Mm-hmm. Um, parenting for us like we don't see that connection that it's like you're not you shouldn't be responsible for figuring out how to get better on your own Mm -hmm. this is not like a DIY project yeah wait DIY sorry I have dyslexia around acronyms (laughs) yeah exactly um yeah and that was a huge you know like that was a huge learning for me personally too because I come from a family of extreme do-it-yourselfers so like Mm -hmm. it was in my it is you know it's probably partly why I'm an entrepreneur. Like I, that, I like that it drives me, but it doesn't apply to like early postpartum, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You don't have a strategy. It's hard to follow through. You you can't evaluate on your own what's working, what's not working, where to go next. Right. Like, and I think that it, to, it can go back to, again, that piece of like, you deserve to have 
a circle of care. Um, it sucks that you have to build the village yourself. Maybe you don't have to build it yourself, but you have to initiate building it. Mm-hmm. Um, get that done. And like, ideally you do that when you're pregnant or before you're pregnant or just mm-hmm. like in general, cause like this could apply to people who don't have children and have anxiety and depression and mental health issues too. Right. It's, it's just that the experience of the biological and emotional experience of having a child just rips a bandaid off. So like, you know, it's, um, Mm -hmm. is being ready for that. And then, and then having that, those supports set up for yourself, knowing that there are lots of different ways to get better. You can get better. This is great. This is a good place. I think to stop where people find you, I'm going to put links to your Instagram in show notes. Um, yeah, where, where yeah, where you can come see my, you can come see my blurdy Instagram. Um, all those stories. Yeah, at Nikki the Naturopath. That's N-I-K-I, the Naturopath. Um, my website is www.nikkithenaturopath.com. I'm on Facebook as well, rarely, but um, yeah, people can yeah. reach out. They can chime in. And um, thanks for having me, Talia. It was a great combo. I knew Thank it would you. be. Yeah, it's so, and I'll maybe I'll just like add some some pressure for you. But you mentioned that you had a project coming up. It's still in yeah, the oh, yeah. creation oh, phase. Yeah, right now, maybe yes, you have I to do am. it because we're going to talk about it. But yeah, I'm gonna have to do it now. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I am in the process of developing a little pilot project called Basic Bitch, which is <laughs> sorry, I swear a lot. In case you're going to notice that on Instagram. Um, And it's like a little group program where people can learn how to take care of themselves. It is geared towards people who are in early parenthood or about to go into parenthood. And the idea is that we learn how to take care of our babies and our children, but we don't learn how to take care of ourselves. So it's basically just translating what you're learning about taking taking care of your baby or kids into how to take care of yourself in really like simple, pragmatic ways um it's learning the basics so that you because that's where we have to start right that's where we can start and sometimes the basics sometimes the structure of the basics are enough and that's also a big piece of that also is developing that community as medicine piece because I really feel like building the community um, I really want to help people build the community because I think that that's something that is of great value um was of great value to me. And, um, I think it will help other people too. So that's gonna, I'm hoping to start that. I guess I will have to light yeah. a fire here. Um, in early April, that will be nice. happening. Yeah. Many, so people many can more. reach out to me. Yeah. yeah I think you can get my email. Be, like, the working subtitle might be when you're so basic bitch, bitch is the main title subtitle when you're 42 and learning to chew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. It was inspired by my friend, Jane, um, who, like who learned how to chew at 42, <laughs> which many of us, and, like, and I, don't, and I still don't know how to chew. Yeah. And all the things. Yeah. Yeah. You Cause mean, we, we forget, right. Whole pieces of food and then wonder why you're bloated. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's yeah. my problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to go getting back to the basics too, for people during those times of struggle can be really helpful. It's like prune it back. Right. Yeah. Um, just get down to what helps and like, we'll probably be, maybe you can come on and talk about blood sugar, Talia. That'd be great. Yeah. So I know you're, you're the, 
or or make or make yeah, easy because you you're my, my favorite mag hag too <laughs> mag hag and blood sugar. yeah i was like that, that could be like you could de- you can definitely put like blood sugar some blood sugar quote on my tombstone i'd be totally okay with that for real <laughs> Yeah. I always okay. joke, like I was actually thinking, cause I make this joke a lot of like, if it was in the drinking water and then, at the, but I, and I'll just like make this explicit because part of me is like so many health problems are because we put stuff in drinking water. So I don't want, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we started for like real. fortifying stuff and like yes. adding stuff to drinking water. So no. Yes. Until, you know, it's always a null hypothesis. Yes. But you know, <laughs> okay. until, until disproven, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of us need our blood sugar balanced and seems to be in this day and age that it's, adding more protein is helpful. So, yes. And that's, that's definitely, yeah, it's definitely one of the basic bitch concepts for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blood sugar and chewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sleep and, and water and movement. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna, all the, all the basic concepts. I, I'm going to try and keep it somewhat on track because as you can see I have lots I have a lot I have a lot of I have a lot to say I always have you know in grade two my grade two teacher who was a cruel woman but she gave me a my my full name is Nikki Jean and so she used to call me Nikki Jean the talking machine and uh (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's dead now but I'm kind of like guess guess you were right Mrs. Mason I'm going to well, own that. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to own that. I mean, yeah. You're like, well, one day, well, just watch me, Miss Mason. One day it's going to be how I make a living. <laughs> one day there will be these things called podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it like that thing where there's like a meme going around where it was like your teacher, when you're like, why don't you learn how to do math? And your teacher's like, well, because you're not going to have a calculator on you wherever you go. And then it like yeah. shows the cell phone. <laughs> so you're like, exactly like, oh my yeah. god you're like there will i there will be something if it if there isn't i will invent it called the podcast where people listen to me talk for three hours at a time and exactly they're gonna love it, yeah. gonna love it. okay yeah. okay nikki right. thank you so much cheers thank you <laughs> bye, bye.